Please rise as we hear the call of our Heavenly Father. And the call this morning, it comes to us from Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you stars of light. Praise Him, you heavens of heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So what have we been asked or commanded to do? Praise him. Let's praise the Lord. Let's begin by uh, opening our hymnals and... And there's some over there, too. And our opening hymn is, if you don't know it, is 570, Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. And then we'll be singing that psalm, Psalm 148b. Thank you. 
us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you for calling us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And calling us even now into the heavenlies in the spirit on this your day. Where we gather with the angels and the just made made perfect around your throne. In the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you Lord Jesus that you are here. Not that you've come down, but we've gone up into your very presence. Enable us, O Lord, by faith to see the reality of where we are standing right now in your holy presence. Grant unto us the ability to confess, hate, and forsake our sins. Look to Jesus as the only sufficient sacrifice once for all for our sins. Consecrate us to your service. Speak to us through your word and by your spirit. Grant unto us the ability to lay our petitions before you. Enable us, O Lord, as we finish the worship service and as we fellowship, to be able to build up and edify one another uh, through the communion uh, of the saints. And so we ask for your blessing this day, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, once again, we have opportunity to confess our sin. And we'll do just that with a responsive reading from Galatians 3, verses 10 through 13, found in, your, found in your bulletin. I'll read the light type if you could respond in the dark. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law, in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs from a tree. Amen. so beautiful to hear everybody make that statement, the just shall live by faith. That's such a wonderful statement. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you, and we thank you, Lord, that you care about us more than we will ever imagine, more than we can imagine. And part of that care is your desire for us to understand the greatness of our sin because it separates us from you. And so, Father, we do come to you and we pray that you would enable us to truly hate our sin because it is not only displeasing to you, but a personal offense. And so, Lord, we are called to live by faith in you. And yet, how many times this week we have rested in our own abilities we focused on ourselves and our need. We've, we are guilty, as Calvin said, of being idle factories, our hearts being idle factories, constantly churning out new kinds of idols to serve ourselves. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that you would grant unto us the ability to know and hate and turn from these things always more and more. And we thank you, as it says there, that you, in your mercy and grace, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took upon himself the curse that lay upon us. He bore in his body and soul your wrath 
And we thank you, Lord, that you, Lord Jesus, said that greater love has no one than this, and he would lay down his life for his friends. And yet we were your enemies, and yet you called us your friends. Not only that, but we are now adopted through faith in Jesus Christ. We have been brought into your family, and we are accepted in the beloved, and we've been adopted and become children of God that we can go before you, Father, calling you Father as you are our Heavenly Father. And we pray, O Lord, that you would truly remove from us anything that would defile our worship today. Enable us, O Lord, as, your, uh, as the performers in this command performance worship. Enable us, O Lord, to perform for you worship that is pleasing to you. You are the audience. We are the performers. We ask, O Lord, that you would equip us to do so. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. It is always good to remember uh, our debt of mercy, the mercy of God. As the Puritans once said, every time we inhale, we breathe in the mercy of God. And so we have an opportunity to sing of that mercy, and that is uh, 434 in your hymnal, A Debtor to Mercy Alone, of Covenant Mercy I Sing. Let us stand and sing. Thanks for
There's so much wonderful. Homework assignment. Read and sing this. Go out on the, uh, in the bulletin is the website if you don't know the music. Your homework assignment is to sing this this week. All right. Please be seated. All right. And keep that hymnal in your hand and turn with me to page 852. As we have opportunity to not only confess our sins, but also to confess our faith. And we use uh, this morning the Nicene Creed. Yes, it's not the Bible, but it summarizes the Bible. And the church has been confessing this, this uh, aspect, or this uh, uh, was called the symbol of faith for 1,700 years. So let's join with those that have gone before us. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it that you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. When we say Catholic, it's the footnote there. We believe in the universal body of Christ. All right, also you will find in your bulletin there's a little half sheet. Uh, We are working our way through one of the three forms of unity, our doctrinal standard of the church, uh, the canons of Dort, and we are in the third and fourth heads of doctrine, the corruption of man, his conversion to God, and the manner thereof. And so I will read the leader's portion, uh, and if you will read the dark type. Article 16... But as man by the fall did not cease to be a creature endowed with understanding and will, nor did sin which pervaded the whole race of mankind deprive him of the human nature, but brought upon him depravity and spiritual death. So also this grace of regeneration does not treat men as senseless stocks and blocks, nor take away their will and its properties, 
or do violence thereto, but it spiritually quickens, heals, corrects, and at the same time sweetly and powerfully bends it, that where carnal rebellion and resistance formerly prevailed, a ready and sincere spiritual obedience begins to reign, in which the true and spiritual restoration and freedom of our will consist. Wherefore, unless the admirable author of good work so deal with us, man can have no hope of being able to rise from his fall by his own free will, by which, in a state of innocence, he plunged himself into ruin. Amen. So again, we've been talking about our state in Adam. How bad was the fall of Adam? How much effect did it have on those? Was his fall simply a bad example? Or as the covenant head of all mankind, did his fall, as the Puritans said, in Adam's fall, we sinned all? I would argue the second, and so does the canons. And so we are all born in Adam and totally or completely depraved or unable. As Paul says in Romans, what? There is, is there anyone that chooses God on their own? He says, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. After God. And so here, again, uh, we've been talking about that. But here we also see the application of the redemption obtained by Christ through the sovereign working of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in our Bibles, if you want to turn there, uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul states the following. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. And there's a, uh, verses 3, 6, 17, and 18. You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by men. Clearly, you are an epistle or a letter of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And then again down in verse 6, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And then down in 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And here in this passage, uh, Paul is talking about that he's greater than Moses, which is a shocker if you stop and think about it, because Paul was a rabbi, and the rabbis exalted Moses. But he knew that he had been called to bring forth through the Spirit the fullness, the understanding, the work of the Spirit through him. And notice, uh, you are, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a living letter seen and read of men. The Spirit of God is writing in your life. The good that you do through the Spirit glorifies God, right? Isn't that what you want? 
when they see you, do, they, do you want them to see you or Jesus? Hmm? Do you want them to glorify you or Jesus? Jesus, that's right. And so we have here the focus on the change. Um, be, uh, oh, I should say the charge of those who oppose the biblical true doctrine of salvation Summarized by Jonah, what is, the, what is the gospel? What is the gospel according to Jonah? Salvation is of the Lord. How did he learn it? In the belly of a fish, didn't he? And so um, the charge was that this, uh, the teaching of the sovereign, active grace of God makes men indifferent and passive. Nothing more, did you notice those phrase, stocks and blocks? That was the charge. Oh, yeah, if you believe in, in, in uh, the work of the, of the triune God is, and we don't do anything to earn our salvation, well, then we're just stocks of wood and blocks of stone. And so that charge is being confronted here. In answer to the charge, man remains a human creature. Did you notice that? We have a free will. The problem is not the will. What's the problem? The heart. What does God say when he looks at our heart? Apart from Christ. It is all, the, in, the imaginations of the thoughts of the heart are only evil all the day. How bad is our heart? Jeremiah says it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? So what do we need? We need spiritual heart surgery. We need that stone to be removed, and we need a heart of flesh, as, uh, as the prophets say. Who does that? Do you do it? Do you, do you operate on yourself? Or is it the Spirit of God that brings life from the dead? Again, it says we are in spiritual death. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll be covering that when we get there. Um, we tend to twist the truth to our own liking and will, and we will pursue the delights that, at that moment, that's right, spiritual. So what is the problem? It's not our wills. Our wills follow our heart. What does our heart want? Well, God says evil. So what do we choose? Well, I'm going to choose between this evil, this evil, and this evil. That's our hearts. We freely choose to God, to reject God and to pursue ourselves. But notice also the, on the other side, the but in the middle of the reader section. But it, that is regeneration, the work of the Spirit, spiritually quickens, heals, corrects, and at the same time sweetly and powerfully bends it. Isn't that great? Is that testimony in your, of your life? Has God done that work in you? Where before I did what I wanted to do and I did not know God and did not care and now, the number one most important person in my life is not me, but God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will over our will. So guess what? In Christ, we have a free will. Paul talks about that. We can choose to do good or to do evil. God has worked in us to desire to do what is good. He has given us a new heart. But unfortunately, in our flesh dwelleth no good thing. And so the battle begins for the Christian, right? 
How long is this battle going to last? Till you die, right? The battle against the flesh and the spirit. But by the grace of God, he sovereignly, actively is involved with us. Uh, And we're going to talk about that a little bit in the sermon. Uh, Grace is God's personal, active involvement in your life. You get that. Grace is God's personal, active involvement in your life. That's why we call the church Grace Reformed Church. It's not just that God gives something and then walks away. No, grace is not only the gift, but the giver being involved with us every moment. Do you understand that? Is that important to you? It should be, because without it, we are nothing. And so let us uh, prepare for the message this morning by once again lifting our voices in song. As we uh, pray and ask the Lord to speak today through your word, uh, hymn number 172. And again, let us stand and sing.
Please be seated. And turning your Bibles to our text this morning, as we begin, as we enter into this wonderful letter, uh, I wrote down in my notes, it's a letter of grace. It's kind of the theme today. Letter of grace. So if you will turn with me to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Our text this morning is verses 1 through 3, but let's go ahead and read the first 14 14 verses. Hear now the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love having predestined us to adoption as, the son, as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also, We have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you for inspiring, guiding, speaking through the apostle Paul, in ministering to the saints there in Ephesus almost 2,000 years ago, and also ministering to us today, we thank you that you recorded this letter, this letter from Jesus Christ to us through the Apostle, by the Spirit. We pray that as you ministered to them, so you'd minister to us today that we would hear your word, we would 
comprehend with all the saints what is the height and breadth and depth of the love of God found in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we ask for your blessing to be a blessing, and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, how would you prefer to be approached to be encouraged to change for the better? There are different ways that you can approach someone positively, negatively. If there was an area in your life that needed change, how would you like them to treat you? How would you like, uh, would you want it to be positive or negative? Is there a time for both? And the answer is yes. All you have to do is think about the Lord Jesus. In Revelation, he wrote seven letters to the seven churches. In some of them, of those letters, he spoke concerning their struggles and battles with persecution. With others, he said, you have left your first love. How would you like to be approached by God? The uh, main uh, point is there in the bulletin. The Apostle Paul answers two important questions in the letter. Why should I live in a way that pleases God? So the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians answers the question, why should I live in a way that pleases God? The answer is because of the greatness of the love of his love for you, his wonderful blessings in Christ. So I respond to the grace of God by loving him and doing what he commands. The second, how do I do so? And the answer is, live your life according to God's great love for you. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, if you notice that, chapters 1 through 3 uh, is the position we have in Christ in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you, beseech you, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so there, starting in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, walk. In chapters 1 through 3, he says, Be, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. Where are you right now? Well, you're seated here in Dickinson, North Dakota. But Paul says, in Christ, we are in heaven. Positionally, right now, where's Jesus? Jesus is in heaven. Where are you if you're in Christ? You're in heaven. Okay, does that make sense? One sense, when we gather together in the name of Jesus, you've heard that statement, right? Two Christians go to a coffee shop, and that applies there, right? No. It's talking about the corporate gathering of the saints. When we gather in the name of Jesus Christ, what does he say? I am there. Is it that he comes down or that we go up? Go to Hebrews chapter 12, and it describes us going into the heavenlies. Right now, we're sitting in the presence of the triune God. We're sitting in the presence of the angels, and just men made perfect. It's as if someone ripped off the ceiling of the building, and we are now in the presence of God. How should we respond with that fact What should we be doing right now, listening intently? 
So what Paul is uh, describing is God's providence, chapters 1 through 3, in our responsibility, our response. Um, Paul himself present, is a prisoner of the Lord. We'll look at that. Have you ever thought about that? Paul was put in prison. He could have avoided prison. He was warned by Agabus that he was going to be attacked in Jerusalem and that he was going to be in chains and that he was going to be delivered to Rome as a prisoner. He could have avoided that by just simply not going to Jerusalem, but no, that was God's calling. And from prison, many of our letters that we have in the New Testament were written. They were written for the beloved brethren throughout Asia and all of the Roman Empire. They were written for us, for all ages. Paul's suffering as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ is the benefit, we receive the benefit in letters such as this. So let us enter into this beginning statement. This is a typical letter of the time. Paul writes, first he says, who it is that's writing and to whom is he writing? Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So who is writing? It's coming from the sent one with authority, the ambassador of Jesus Christ, the apostle Paul. Notice he was apostle of Jesus Christ. Let's stop and back up a little bit. As we, we read already Acts chapter 19, uh, do you know much about the city of Ephesus, the place where these people uh, were uh, living? Ephesus was the capital of the Roman province of Asia. We now call it what? What is that country called today? It's Turkey. Okay. But Asia was called Asia Minor. Uh, this was the capital. This was the most prominent city of the empire, right in the middle of the Roman Empire. And they were renowned for the temple to Diana. All the world came to Ephesus to worship the goddess Diana. As a matter of fact, what we didn't read in chapter 19 was the silversmiths had a riot because as Paul was being effective in preaching the gospel and people turned from false gods to the true God, it hit them financially. Nobody's going to worship the great goddess and nobody's going to buy our idols and so we want to stop Paul from preaching the gospel because it's hurting our pocketbook. This city was a strategic city. Paul wanted to go there on his second missionary journey. And what was in, what's interesting in Acts is at twice it says that Paul desired to go into Asia and the Holy Spirit said no. Here was a strategic city from a, from a, a missionary perspective. This is the place to go. And yet the Holy Spirit said, or actually says, forbid him from preaching the gospel in Asia. Asia Minor. Isn't that interesting? Why? What if you were Paul? 
Here you are being sent to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Here's a key city, and the Holy Spirit is telling you no. But what did he say? Not yet. Have you ever got a, uh, did you ever pray for something and the answer to it was no? Is that an answer to prayer? Is it an answer that we like? No. Is wait an answer to prayer? That's what happened. Although Paul didn't know that, the answer was no. And so he travels on. If you look at Acts chapter 16, as he's been forbidden to go to Asia and go to Ephesus, and yet there is this glorious vision, this Macedonian at night in a, in a dream says to Paul, come over and help us. So immediately Paul says, okay, the Lord is calling us to Philippi. We're calling us to another Roman colony in Europe. And so the gospel now comes to Europe first. And then he travels down into Greece and he ends up in Corinth. Man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And then, as he is uh, committed to go back to Jerusalem to do his missionary report and to offer sacrifice or whatever to fulfill uh, vows that he made. As he's heading back to Jerusalem, what does he do? He stops off in Ephesus. And he promises, I will return. Kind of like MacArthur did in the Philippines. I will return. And he did. And so there in Acts chapter 19, we see this third missionary journey, his three years of ministry, it's the longest place that he ministered to in his missionary journeys. One place for three years. And now he is gone. He's been arrested. He's on his way to Rome. He doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. And he wants to minister to the saints there in Ephesus. And so he writes this letter. So now you have a little bit of the background of this letter. Um, in other words, why should I read and study this letter? What is my motivation? Why is it important? And the answer is, it's from Jesus. Yes, the Apostle Paul read it, but who was the Apostle Paul? He was the Apostle. The word means sent one. He was the one sent by Jesus Christ to write to give this letter. So this is a personal letter to you. Do you understand that? If you, if you received a personal letter from Jesus Christ, would you read it? When I first was engaged to my lovely wife, uh, I en ended up, uh, how many days after we were engaged? I think it was 10 days or so. I went to Micronesia, and then back in 1981, the only way to communicate for the most part was letters. And so when I received a letter from my fiancé, that was the most precious gift, precious thing. I took it home, and I read it, and I read it again, and I read it again. Why? Because she wrote me this letter. Jesus Christ wrote you this letter. Is it precious to you? It should be more precious than a letter from my fiancé. 
Read it. Jesus' blessing is there. What is his importance? It is of utmost importance. Can you imagine thousands of years God has protected this letter from being destroyed so that you can have it in your Bible and read it? Thank God for this letter of grace. Second point. To whom? Notice what he says. To whom? To the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. He's writing to Gentiles and Jews and he calls them holy ones. Are you a holy one? Are you a saint? You're a saint in Christ. Okay. You mean the Pope doesn't have to first make you a saint? No. Paul is writing to sinners who are saved in Christ, but he doesn't call them sinners because that's not our identity anymore. We are saints who sin. Sin is not our identity. Do you understand that point? I think most of you, we've hammered that point many times. I am a saint. I'm a holy one in Christ. I am set apart for God's use only. But I still rebel and sin. But yet Jesus died for those sins. And so to the saints who are at Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus, that is our identity. Do you believe in Jesus? Is he your only salvation? Is he your only hope? Do you rest in him? Do you function in the sphere, if you will, of Jesus? What do I mean by that? That means that if I'm in Christ, everywhere I turn, I'm looking through the lens of Jesus Christ. Everything is in perspective of Christ. Is that your testimony? That's who Paul is writing to. Those who have been set apart for God's use only. What's amazing is that same setting is found all the way back in the Old Testament. What is the most significant event in the Old Testament? What do you think? What's the most significant? Is it creation? Is it the flood? Is it the call of Abraham? Is it redemption of Israel out of Egypt? Is it the building of the temple? What is the most significant? I would argue that's Exodus chapter 19. God takes his redeemed people and he brings them to himself. And he says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a portable, special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Peter quotes that and says to the believers in Jesus Christ, you are that holy nation. We are the people of God. We are the children of God. We are the holy people of God. That's our identity. Is that important? And the answer is yes. I don't identify myself by my sin, as some Christians do. 
or as a pastor that I heard of that says he's a homosexual Christian. And I would say, you're either Christian or homosexual. You can't say both. Amen. You understand the difference? My identity is Christ, not my sin. If you have any questions about that, come and see me afterwards. So Paul writes to these beloved disciples, these saints, these holy ones, these set-apart ones, the who are in Christ, and notice they are the recipients. Notice the blessing. Sometimes we fly over verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes, well, I've heard that so many times. You hear that opening of every serve, uh, service. What? So what? What is he saying? Grace. The source of blessing is God and God's grace. And the result of that grace is peace or shalom or well-being. Do you understand that? It is because of grace that we have peace with God. It is because of grace that we have peace with one another. It is because of grace that God has blessed us. Peace with God, Romans 5.1. Peace with man, unity. Peace with oneself. Sometimes that's the hardest place to be at peace, right? When you're aware of your sin or you're plagued with your worries or doubts or fears. or So isn't that sometimes the greatest enemy that you have to deal with is your own flesh, is yourself? I don't know about you, but I'm my own worst enemy. Right? It's a healthy thing in, in confessing my sin, but sometimes my pride says that I'm not as good as I should be. My pride says I should be better than this. So even my, my humility is, can be really pride. Anyways, I'm crazy, I know. Uh, if you can relate to that, great. So here we see God's blessing of grace. Notice that. And because of grace, peace. Do you hear that? Good. So my question to you, number one, are you a saint? Are you a saint? Is this letter for you? You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your only Savior. Is he the only way to God? As he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Is he your Savior? Is he your boss? Is he your Lord? When Jesus says jump, do you say how high on the way up? Is that your heart? Are you a saint, a recipient of grace? And as a recipient, are you also called to be an instrument of God's grace and peace? If you've received grace from God, if God has called you, he's also called you to be an instrument through which the grace and peace of God comes. We are called to be saints, instruments. Yes, we're cracked vessels, right? But vessels that hold the grace of God, hold the spirit, if you will. So if you are a saint, you're also an instrument. Finally, how do we, how can you be an instrument of God's grace and 
peace. The first thing is, the first three trap, uh, chapters is apprehend what God has given you. Apprehend the grace of God. Understand it. And rejoice in it. I'm loved of God. I belong to Jesus. My faithful Savior. As the Catechism says, what is your only hope in life and death? That I was body and soul, both in life and in death, I'm not my own, but I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins. Is that your testimony? Is that your cry? Yes, I am forgiven. And not only that, but he's delivered me from the power of the devil. And he preserves me. Then nothing can happen apart from the will of God in Christ Jesus. Do you apprehend the grace of God? The greatness of God's grace. Do you appreciate it? Is that a good response? Thank you. Is that a good response to a gift? Is that a proper grandma? Is that a proper response? Did you teach your children when someone gave you something that you're to say thank you? Thank you. Uh, Becky, when you taught your children that when they received the gift, what did you teach them to do? Write a thank you note. Is that biblical? Is it biblical to say thank you when someone gives you something? It's the appropriate response. What does the catechism say? My, the third response, the first is how great my sin and misery is. The second is how I'm redeemed from all my sin and misery. And the third is how I'm to be thankful to God for such redemption. Right? So if we apprehend the grace of God that's been given to us, our response is thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Is that why we breathe out? Now, what do I mean by that? The Puritan said every time we inhale, we breathe in the mercy and grace of God. So what do you do with that breath? It should be thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's that third part. Communicate by words and deeds what God has done for you in Christ. My third point, blessed to be a blessing, and I'll wrap it up here. But I thought I would quote somebody else. I know last week you had a uh, great preacher, uh, Spurgeon, a little bit long. My sermon's shorter today. Okay. But I thought I would read a comment from another theologian on this verse. Better than I. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The lofty terms in which he extols the grace of God toward the Ephesians are intended to rouse their hearts to gratitude. Wasn't that what I was just saying? As we read Ephesians, the first response should be thank you. Right? Thank you, God, for your grace. He goes on to write, to set them all on flame. Then Oh, yes, Lord, set us on flame. Kindle in us that first love because of grace. Thank you, Jesus. Set my heart on flame for you. He goes on to say, to fill them with overflowing, uh, to overflowing with this thought. They who perceive in themselves 
discoveries of divine goodness so full and absolutely perfect and who make them the subject of earnest meditation will never embrace false doctrines by which the very grace which they feel so powerfully in themselves is thrown into shade. So Paul is concerned about error coming into the church. And so what does he do? What does a teller do when uh, they are being trained, right? Do they give you a false uh, a, a counterfeit bill? We have a teller here. Did they give you a, and, and wanted you to study that, or did they make you just work with the real stuff, right? They started with the real stuff, right? And then when the, the counterfeit came, ah, oh, this is counterfeit. I can just feel it. I can see it, whatever. This is what Paul is doing. Here's the truth. Know it. Believe it. So that when false doctrine comes, you, oh, something's wrong with that statement. I heard that yesterday. I was hearing a preacher, and he made a statement, and immediately a, a, a red light went off in my head. Remember? I think I said that to you. Okay, I can tell you later. But it was just immediate, this kind of statement. Oh, I, I don't think I agree with that. Okay? We need to be good Bereans, checking out what's being taught by the Word of God, knowing the Word of God, examining even the Apostle Paul. Right? They perceive in themselves the discoveries of divine goodness, full and absolutely perfect, and they meditate earnestly. The design of the apostle, therefore, in assorting the riches of divine grace toward the Ephesians was to protect them against having their faith shaken by false apostles, as if their calling were doubtful or salvation were to be sought in some other way. He shows at the same time the full certainty of future happiness rest on the revelation of his love to us in Christ, which God makes in the gospel. But to confirm the matter more fully, he rises to the first cause of the fountain, to the fountain, the eternal election of God, by which we are born, we are adopted as sons. And that's verse 4, and he goes on. So he, he starts us, by establishing us in the grace of God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He works down that order in those verses that I read. So uh, take up the book. What is it? Augustine was converted when he heard some kids playing next door. Take up the book and read it. And the book was the Bible. And he was converted. Take up the book of Ephesians while you're on vacation. Take up the book of Ephesians and read it. Read of the grace of God and God's call for us to demonstrate that love or be instruments of love. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this epistle, this letter of grace. We thank you that it is by your grace that we are saved. Through faith, and even that, not of ourselves, is a gift, your gift, not of works, as anyone should boast. And so we are your poema. We are your workmanship. We are your masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you have ordained beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we pray that you would enable us to apprehend 
and that through us that others would come to see and know our Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. Enable us, O Lord, to glory in what you've given to us, our calling as saints in Christ. And enable us, O Lord, to love him and those whom he desires and calls. And so we ask, O Lord, that you would make us those instruments. And we pray this now for your glory's sake. In Christ's name, amen. Let us respond to God's word by giving of his tithes and our offerings. Father in heaven, we do come before you, and again, we thank you for what you've done for us in Christ, and we also pray uh, that you would bless these tithes and offerings, the works of our hands. We give back to you a portion of what you own, which is everything. The earth is yours and the fullness thereof. We thank you, Lord, for this ability to be stewards. We pray that you'd enable us to be found faithful. We desire to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. And so we pray that you would enable us to be faithful in these tithes and offerings in the proper use of them, but also be faithful in what else you've given to us, whether it be time, whether it be our bodies, whether it be our resources of various Help us, Lord, to be faithful uh, because we are called to be your stewards. We also thank you, Lord, that you have granted unto us access, boldness even, to go, come enter into the throne of grace to find mercy and help in time of need. And so we as your people come to you, Heavenly Father, as your children, and we pray that you would hear these requests that are written in the bulletins, those requests that we've carried in here with on our hearts, our concerns and cares for uh, your kingdom and may it come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. We do look to you for our daily bread, for those things that we need. We thank you for the breath that you've given to us these many years. And we look to you for every breath. We look to you for the provision of life. We look to you and we thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. You care for us. We also thank you that you have also enabled us to be able to forgive others as we have been forgiven in Christ. Help us to do so. We pray, O Lord, as we are still at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil, uh, that you would lead us not into temptation, but that you would deliver us from evil. And so we pray for victory, Lord. We thank you that you are the one who's begun a good work in us, and you will complete it in the, until the day of Jesus Christ. In particular, we do lift up to you many of the needs here that's in the, in the um, bulletin. We thank you, Lord, for your blessing. Uh, upon uh, David and Rachel for their wedding last Saturday. And we also pray for Caden and Emma 
as they prepare to get married this Saturday. And so we ask your blessing on the preparations. We ask your blessing on both of these uh, couples, these families. We do lift up to another family that got married last year, Isaac and Ellie uh, Chavez, who lost their little baby Evangeline last month. Uh, as uh, she only had, she was on this earth for 19 days. We again pray for your comfort. We thank you, Lord, for the ability to join in via internet with the memorial service yesterday and how you were glorified and how the gospel was preached. We pray, O Lord, for Isaac and Ellie uh, that you would uh, continue to grant them strength and grace um, as they um, as they uh, celebrate the life and also mourn the death of their daughter. Uh, we pray for the Schmitz family. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for it seems like everything is moving forward with the adoption of Melly. We pray, O Lord, that it would continue as uh, the, the last of the government um, um, stipulations and all, that they would be removed, uh, make it possible for them to uh, go to Poland and to bring her back. Uh, uh, we pray that that would be done before our year's end. Uh, even if it would be September, that would be great. We thank you, Lord, for the provision concerning the costs, and we pray, O Lord, that you prepare the family uh, for the arrival of their new daughter. Uh, we pray for others in the congregation who are dealing with various uh, sickness or recovering from surgery. We ask, O Lord, that you would have mercy on them and heal them. We uh, lift up to you Landon, uh, the son of Rachel's friend. He is at the Mayo Clinic with bleeding and heart issues. We hear that uh, he is improving, but still there is some real great concerns for him. Uh, we ask for wisdom, grace, strength, comfort, and peace for the family, and wisdom for the medical team in caring for him. Uh, we thank you, Lord, also for our brethren in Weezer, Idaho, who are desirous to plant a church there. And we ask, oh Lord, your blessing as we begin uh, a new members class or um, uh, inquirers class this evening. We pray for your blessing upon that. Uh, we pray for Derek, uh, who is an elder in Modesto and is serving there. Uh, we pray, O oh Lord, for your blessing upon him and the steering committee as they organize that church. And we have the privilege of uh, overseeing it, and we ask for your wisdom in that. We lay before you our mission works. We lay before you the churches without pastors in the RCUS, and we pray that you provide men after your own heart. We lay these and all our other concerns and cares in your, in, in, uh, to you. We roll that burden upon you, and we pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So it's the Lord's Prayer because it begins with the Lord, it ends with the Lord, right? Shouldn't that be our prayers? Begin with the Lord and end with the Lord. Any ministers to us as well. Let's close this morning's uh, worship service by turning to hymn number 222. It probably is familiar for many of you. Our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. 
Let us stand and sing. This is probably the most important part. It's not because the service is over, but because we need God's blessing. But in God's blessing, what is called the Aaronic Benediction, twice the blessing is, May God, when he looks at you, that his face lights up. Can you imagine what that is going to be like as we enter into heaven, and there is Jesus Christ, and he sees you, and his face lights up. I can't think of a greater blessing. Receive now God's blessing and benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
please be seated for just a moment for the announcements. I'd like to welcome all family.